First, let me invite you to open the book that tells of that story. The wounds of Jesus Christ paying our ransom, the, the Bible. I invite you to open the Bible with me this morning to the book of Job. If you're using a pew Bible, and certainly would encourage you to do so. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, then you can find this text beginning on page 430. If you're visiting with us today, we've been wrestling with Job for a few weeks now. A book of the Bible that teaches a great deal about human suffering and how to make sense of God in light of it. Through the course of these few weeks, we've we've done our best to be honest and transparent about the reality and the presence of hurt and hardship and pain and suffering here on earth. I I don't really care what Forrest Gump's mother said. Life is not like a box of chocolates. It is true that you may never know what you're going to get here, but I'm yet to eat a piece of chocolate that wasn't very good. Amen? Today we come to the end of this story, to the end of the book of Job, and we'll do our best to wrap it up. But that doesn't mean, however, that we're going to tie it up neatly with a pretty bow on it. There's nothing pretty about suffering. Friends, there is something beautiful about the story of the gospel. And today we want to hear that story anew and afresh through the lens of the book of Job. So as we come into this story, whether you've been with us the last few weeks, maybe you haven't, maybe you've never heard of this particular story, you don't know any of the details about it, but let's remember the story. Let's catch ourselves up to speed. Job is a righteous man. There's no one like him in the earth. He's a good man. He loves and leads his family. He's a man who loves the Lord. He worships God alone. And as the story goes, Satan appears before God one day. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen Job? Man, what what a man he is. He loves me and serves me. There's no one like him. And Satan responds to the Lord. He says, he only loves you because you've given him so much. He only loves you because he's healthy and he's wealthy. And God says, okay, Satan, he's in your hands now. But you must spare his life. And suddenly Satan sets his target on Job and Job loses everything. Loses all his possessions, his wealth. He loses all ten of his children. His health goes to nothing. And he cries. He laments. He's angry, but he still worships God. He still serves God. He says in chapter 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Satan was wrong. So one author and pastor pointed out, Satan was as wrong as Dr. Seuss's Grinch was about the Who's down in Whoville at Christmas time. Thinking that if he stole all the toys and the treats, surely they would not keep singing and celebrating. But you know that story. What happens? They keep singing. And so does Job. In spite of his tragedy, Job continues to worship God. His own wife tells him to curse God and, and to die. And his friends come and want to comfort him, but they begin to misspeak to him. Begin to speak and their words sting. He, they essentially say to Job, Job, drop the facade. 
you're obviously suffering because you have done something terrible. You need to admit your sin and God will take all this pain away. You see, Job knows deep down that he has been right with the Lord. He knows that he's done nothing to warrant such turmoil and, and tragedy. In the midst of arguing with his friends, he keeps crying out to God to answer him. And finally, God speaks. God speaks in chapter 38 and 39 and 40 and 41. And if you weren't with us last week, go back and read that text. We, we cannot make sense of the book of Job without listening to the voice of God in all this. And God responds and he declares his own sovereignty and his wisdom and his justice in a beautiful description of his design and his care for his creatures. And after, after God speaks to Job, Job responds. And he responds in the only fitting way for anyone who encounters the glory of God. He repents. He submits. He bows down in worship. He trusts the wisdom and the power of the one whom he, whom he knows holds his life in his hands. And he finds rest in knowing that despite his external circumstances, which don't appear good, he's right with God. He knows God will restore him. As we'll see now as we finish up this story, that's exactly what God does. So let me invite you to look at God's word with me. Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to invite you today to stand uh, where you are for the reading of God's word. Job chapter 42, verse 7. We read, After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite. Remember, this was one of Job's friends. God said, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you have seen fit to include this story and the greater story of your word. Father, we pray that you would guide us and instruct us today that we might rightly understand it and apply it to our lives as your people or that we might trust you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. One thing that is not so clear in 
reading the end of the stories, how to pronounce some of these names. We've got some good names here, don't we? One thing that is clear, though, is that God absolutely loves Job. And Job loves his God. He's not perfect. Job's not perfect. But he's devoted. He's not sinless, but he serves the Lord. And though he's been upset with God, he does not deny God. Though he's in pain, he doesn't slander God. He cries out to God for mercy, even expressing frustration to God. But he does not slander God. Unlike his friends, Job does not speak falsely about God for false talk about God is sin. Friends, false talk about God is is sin. Saying things about God confidently as if they're true and they're not true does not please the Lord. You see, there's a difference, church, between lamenting to God and lamenting about God. The Bible gives us permission to lament to God from the perspective of faith in Him. That's what Job has done. Even in anger and frustration over the pain God has allowed in his life. But even so, God says, verse 7, Job is my servant. Verse 8, he will pray for you. But God is angry, we read, over the words of Job's friends. He says, you've not spoken the truth about me. Spoken falsely about me. You have misrepresented me and you need to repent. I think there's a warning here for all of us who called upon to speak or to teach on behalf of the Lord. Privileged task. What a weighty task. Let's listen to the Lord before we presume to speak on His behalf. False talk about God is sin, but God allows a sacrifice in place of sinners. We see that right here. God allows a sacrifice in place of sinners. Human sin breaks fellowship, destroys fellowship, interrupts fellowship with a holy God. But in God's wisdom and grace, He has made a way to restore that broken relationship. A payment offered and a penalty received in place of the guilty party, in place of guilty sinners. Eliphaz, you're in the wrong, and here's what you need to do. Go and make a sacrifice to me. God allows a sacrifice in place of sinners and God provides a mediator to intercede on behalf of sinners. God provides a mediator to stand in the gap, if you will, to intercede on behalf of sinners. Verse 8, my servant Job will pray for you, God says. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. In other words, I won't deal with you according to what you deserve. I'll listen to this mediator. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has a sacrifice in place of sinners and a mediator on behalf of sinners. If you're familiar with God's word, then you know that sounds familiar. This resembles a whole temple system of worship with priests and sacrifices meant to prepare for and pave the way for the one known as the Lamb of God. John chapter 1 verse 29 who takes away the sin of the world. And the great High priest, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, who mediates between us and God. See, because Job knew God and he knew that he was right with God, he could mediate on behalf of his friends who were not right with God. They knew about God. 
They say quite a bit about God. Something's true about God. They defend God and His character and His ways staunchly, but they weren't walking with God. Let's, let's be people who walk with God, and we can walk with God as we get to know God. Let's get to know God. People are committed to, to know Him. What a privilege to know Him. Friends, Job knew God. There's no doubt about it. It doesn't mean that he knew everything about God. It doesn't mean that he understood everything about God's ways. That's abundantly clear. But he served God. He humbly bowed before God in worship. And he lived in, relation, in a relationship of submission to God. And because he did so, he saw that God's character was good and trustworthy, leading Job to want to honor God. Don't forget, Job chapter 1, verse 8, is seen in heaven where the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Sort of imagine God smiling. If God smiles when he says this, You consider my servant Job? There's no one like him. He loves me. He's blameless. He's upright. Fears God and shuns evil. I wonder, friends, could that be said of us? Might God say, have you considered my servant, Kevin? Have you considered my servant, Toxie? Have you considered my servant, Paula? Have you considered my servant, Chris? Have you considered my servant? Have you considered my servant, Job? Friend, the Lord knows your heart fully and He notices your faithfulness or, or lack thereof. He knows if we trust Him. And He knows what we think of Him. And because Job trusted God when things were good, he would continue knowing and trusting God when things were not so good. His relationship with his Lord prepared him for the valley of the shadow of death. And you know as well as I do that this ancient family is not the only one that's walked with God through suffering. Many have, many do, many will continue to as long as we are here. As we turn our attention to the screens, let's consider another one. One a little more close to home. One thing about uh, my experience with suffering, uh, my wife Tessa uh, began to have problems with, uh, with her uh, exercise. She was not able to climb stairs well and so forth back in 2007. We went to a UAB and received a positive diagnosis of something called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, uh, which was a death sentence, actually, because with that disease, the only treatment was a lung transplant. Uh, and so uh, we began to pursue uh, how to do that. Uh, and as she uh, became worse over the time, as time passed, as they told us that would happen, uh, the course of the disease is unpredictable. Some people, uh, once diagnosed, uh, will pass away within 30 days. Uh, others last for years. Uh, and so as it became slowly worse, we began to pursue uh, a lung transplant. So we talked to the UAB folks who became listed for a lung transplant, which is the terminology that the transplant folks use. But we eventually, we did qualify for a transplant at Duke. Um, and uh, they called us one night. We went in. Uh, and, uh, and they took her off to surgery. Um, the surgery uh, had problems. There were complications in the surgery. Uh, the shock to her body was substantial. Uh, she couldn't uh, uh, come out of the, the, the uh, anesthesia. She was unconscious for three days. 
before we finally were able to uh, to talk to her. And so finally we came to the point uh, the day after Mother's Day that she had declined to the point where she had and finally uh, passed away. Uh, and it was a long, difficult journey for her. Uh, she worked hard, she was, she was determined, she was dedicated, um, but the uh, physical conditions finally took her down. We prayed a lot. We trusted a lot. Uh, Tessa at one time said, uh, I said, we're going to go to get the lung transplant. And she said, um, that may be difficult. And I said, yes, you know, the lung transplant itself is very risky. And she said, well, you know, if, uh, if it doesn't work, I'll just be with Jesus. And uh, Tessa had a strong confidence that she was going to be with the Lord at some time during this. Uh, and as, as we went on uh, through that time, she, uh, she held on to that. She had a lot of determination and will to live, yet she had confidence that if she were to die, uh, she would be with the Lord. First is I am not in control. I'm a control person and I am not in control. Uh, that's very clear. But we also had during that time uh, moments of unexplainable peace, moments of unexplainable joy uh, in the midst of all that stuff that was going on. Uh, times when you just felt completely confident uh, that you were going to be okay, that God was with you, that that uh, no matter what happened, uh, he was still your your going to be there with you, Karen. Uh, there was a, uh, a period where I would be praying and I would I would feel God telling me something good was going to happen the next day. And it would happen. Something would happen. I wouldn't know what it would be. But the thing that I learned, uh, one of the things I learned from this too, is especially after Tessa had passed away, is that God is with you even through the darkest moments in your life. And sometimes when it is so dark, that, and, and you've lost that loved one. And the time is, is, has come that you don't know what to do. And your grief is so heavy that you don't think you can bear it. You have to trust through it. You will come through the other side. You trust God to carry you through, and he will. He will, even though it seems silent for a while. That darkness, uh, that darkness will pass. Uh, as uh, Tessa had, uh, after she had died, uh, you want to pray, uh, but you don't know how to pray for that person who's passed away. She's gone. And so what I prayed for was the assurance that she was with God, that he was caring for her, that uh, she was in his arms. And I did receive that assurance. I felt confident that, uh, that God had her and she was, she was safe at last. So faith to me is one of the things that it takes to sustain you through these terribly difficult uh, times, times of suffering, great suffering, uh, when, when it comes up. All, all of those experiences uh, shape us in a lot of ways and shape our outlook. Uh, in life, but uh, the thing that is interesting is that God continues to bless us here in this life uh, in many ways. Uh, about uh, two years after uh, 
Tess had passed away, I began to, to feel um, good again. I began to feel like I was going to be here for a while, that I needed to build a life again. Uh, and I began to uh, pray to God about how to do that and how would that work. And now about uh, a little less than three years after Tessa passed away, I'm married again. And I've had the blessing of a good, strong, sweet woman uh, in my life once again. So God God cares for us in those kinds of ways. He, he rebuilds us. I'm different from what I was before. All those experiences have changed me. Still miss Tessie. I still love Tessie, but I have a new person uh, in my life now that is giving me uh, goodness of life uh, here in this world uh, today. Uh, God, God blesses us so richly, and he's blessed me in a new and different way than I ever expected. Church, many of you know Jack, longtime Sunday school teacher here. Many of you knew Tessa, faithful and vital member of this body of believers. Many of you know Jack and his wife Pam now. And I told Jack that I remember visits with a declining Tessa being occasions of joy. Whether it be in the hospital room on oxygen and IV antibiotics, whether it be around her kitchen table or even in palliative care, that woman embodied peace and joy. And she did because she knew, friends, that God restores those who trust Him. She knew that God was a healing God, a restoring God, that God restores those who trust Him. And just as Jack shared at the end, it's easy to look at his life now and see a picture of, of restoration and renewal here that even mirrors to a certain extent what Job experienced. A growing family. Not a replacement, but an expansion. A, a beautiful wife in Pam. Marital bliss, I'm, I'm certain. But I have to be honest, as good as they have it now, Tessa got the better end of the deal. We know this as followers of Christ, as those who believe the word of God. For she is now with Jesus, the perfect and sacrificial groom who gave his life away for her. Friends, there are no shortcuts to genuine faith. It's messy. It's not dependent on receiving a suitable explanation for everything but on a recognition of God's sovereign wisdom and His ways, His goodness and His mercy, and a willingness to trust Him, to trust Him, even in the face of tragedy. Friends, God restores those who trust Him. How does He do so? What does He do? Well, first, He gives them a new community. Those who trust the Lord receive a, a new community. Perhaps in this life, that's what we see in Job. Verse 11, brothers and sisters who formerly abandoned him have now returned to him. Seven sons and three daughters, verse 13, just as he had before his life went sideways. Again, not a a replacement. He, He still grieved what he had lost, verse 11. But a renewal and a restoration. And church, this must be a picture of something bigger. 
This must be a picture of something larger, something greater, something grander, for it doesn't always happen this way. But remember the words of our Savior, Jesus Himself, in the height of His his ministry, surrounded by crowds coming to Him, to be healed by Him or to hear Him teach. His family hears about this and they they go to get him. They're they're worried about him. And someone goes in and tells Jesus, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. Mark chapter 3, verse 34. Then Jesus looked at those seated in a circle around him. And he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus said, Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Those who do God's will are those who trust and serve Jesus. Invited to be part of a new family, a new community, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters in Christ. Invited to approach our maker in heaven as a good and kind and loving heavenly father. A perfect and good father. And friends, we're given a taste of this new community here on earth in the church. Yet we await the fullness of it until the time God sees fit to take us. Friends, God restores those who trust in Him. He gives them a new community and He gives them abundant riches. God gives abundant riches. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Job became rich again. We have to be careful here. We want to understand this in the greater context of God's Word because God does not promise us Such material wealth and riches here in this life. But if you trust Him, He offers you spiritual riches in Him. Eternal redemption and undeserved forgiveness. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know, right? Believers, you know the grace, the undeserved kindness, riches of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich... Seated on the throne of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Rich in him. God gives those who trust him a new community and abundant riches, and finally he gives them a long life. Friends, he gives them a long life. You see this right here, the story of Job. Job chapter 42, verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and So Job died an old man and full of years. According to the psalmist, 70 years was a full life. Job gets a double portion. A Christian, perhaps you see where where this is going. We're not here this morning simply to talk about the life of Job. We are here today to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the life of Job. The giver of that gospel once said to his dear friend Martha, as she grieved the loss of her brother, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said. Friend, do you believe this? God restores those who trust him, giving them life without end. Friend, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're dealing with today. For some of you, life looks pretty good. A lot of money in the bank, a good report from your doctor, a family gathered around you that loves you. For others, you're suffering. You're broken hearted over the loss of a loved one. 
you're battling terminal illness, marriage is falling apart, you're struggling to pay bills. In either case, hear me on this, friends. Whether you have plenty or are absolutely consumed with pain, you can humbly trust God and His sufficiency. He is trustworthy. You can humbly trust God. He is sovereign, as we saw last week. He's sovereign and He knows everything and He's always just. We can humbly trust Him and His sufficiency. Job did not get the explanation he wanted. He didn't hear the whole backstory. He didn't hear all the details. But he got God. And friends, knowing God is enough. Knowing Him and knowing that you're right with Him, knowing that we can walk in relationship with Him, knowing that He is sovereign, that He loves us, that He has a future for us, is enough. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. You don't know what that was. Something dreadful. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul continued, he said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, God is good, and He is sufficient, and He saves. Call on the Lord to save you. Call on the Lord to save you. He is a God who saves. He may save you. He may restore you here physically. He may intervene and heal you. He may restore your marriage. He may show up in a miraculous way. But He may not. In either case, He will save you from your sins. He will spare you eternal death. He will restore you to the condition and the position that He created you for. You may still suffer here for a little while, but because Jesus suffered there on the hill of Golgotha, you can enjoy wholeness and health and the joy of knowing and being with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And there is no greater joy and delight for those who know Him than to be with Him. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, as Scripture says, Paul writes, he says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. In the end, Job was not put to shame. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, all who call on the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel according to Job. All who call on the name of the Lord, all who call on the Lord will be saved. Job called on the Lord and he was saved. Tessa called on the Lord and she was saved. Have you called on the Lord? All who call on the Lord will be saved. Come every soul. By sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Come then and join this holy band, the hymn writer said. 
and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joys immortal flow. Only trust Him. Friends, only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. The Lord will save you. He will save you now. Can we stand and sing that? Church, let's stand. Hymn number 475.